0: So normally, as a church, we uh, will work through a book of the Bible and we'll preach through it sequentially, chapter by chapter. We've recently been doing a sermon uh, through the book of Luke. Uh, But for the next little while, we're going to take a small break from that. Um, We're going to be looking at a new series called The Marks of a Healthy Church. And the purpose of this series is to help us know What a church should be striving for if it wants to be a biblical church? Is a biblical church one that looks the most like the world or one that looks the least like the world or somewhere in between? Is a biblical church one that seeks the lost or waits for the lost to come to it? Is a a biblical church one that is filled with the Spirit, expressing the gifts of the Spirit or not? And if so, which ones, and how often, and how orderly. And so all of these questions and more need to be worked through in one way or another by every church. At least they should be. And it is to the the word of God that we must look to find these answers. You see, we don't get to define what a healthy church is. A, A church planting book doesn't get to define what a healthy church is. God who is the founder of the church and therefore uh, the, the one who defines what the church is and what it should look like is the one who gets to say what is and isn't a healthy church. And so that's what we are after in this series. We want to search God's word to see what are the marks, how do you recognize, how do we know that we are a healthy and biblical church? And then how can we, in areas that we might be lacking, strive more towards that here at Evergreen Chapel? And so after a uh, careful study that we talked about last month where I asked you guys all to start reading and praying through the book of Acts and and the epistles, um, I've come up uh, with nine marks of a healthy church, what they must be doing if they're going to be Uh, modeling a a biblical church that we see in Scripture. So so over the next nine or so weeks, uh, we are going to be uh, looking at these marks in detail. And then, Lord willing, uh, when we're finished, Evergreen Chapel will reflect more and more what the Church of Christ is called to reflect to the glory of God. And so the first mark that we are going to be looking at today is really essential for many of the other ones that follow. It's really what makes a church a church. If you don't have this mark, then it's not really a church. And that is that the health, a healthy church gathers for worship. A healthy church gathers for worship. And the passage that we're going to be looking at uh, is Acts 2. So you can turn there in your Bibles. Acts 2, uh, verses 42 to 47. And I'll read... God's word for us this morning. I remind you that this is the inerrant and inspired and authoritative word of God uh, that directs all who we are and all that we do. And this is what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles'. saved. Now this is a a wonderful passage, because we see here that in just a few verses, we really have five or six of the marks of a healthy church. And if you remember in the verses that preceded this in Acts chapter 2, you had one of the most magnificent events in all of Christian history, in the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. See, the Holy Spirit comes and In power, like he has never come before. And you have Peter standing up uh, before a large crowd preaching his first sermon, calling them all to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And then after he preaches that message, the the Spirit is is poured out and 3,000 people believe and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and added to the church of God. And so here in Acts 2, you really have the Formation of the first church as we know it. It was here that the people of God came together to become the New Testament church. And so it makes sense that if we are going to study what a biblical church looks like, that this is really where we should start our examination. And one of the, the main things that really jumps out from this passage is that the church gathered together for worship. They were continually gathering together to praise the Lord. And we're going to spend the rest of our time now breaking down that statement, that the church gathered together for worship. So first, we'll look at the idea of gathering, that the church gathers, and second, that we gather for a purpose. We gather for the worship of God. And so first, let's look at the idea of the church gathering. Verse 42 says, "...and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship." to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then down in verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And then verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So we see that from these verses, it is very clear that the church gathers Together. And this is really essential to what a church is. You see, when we use the word church today, we use it in many different ways. We can say things like, uh, let's go and meet at the church. Or we can say things like, uh, we're going to have a church service. Or maybe we'll say things like, uh, the church is not about the place, it's about the people, where the church is in reference to the people of God. And so the question is, which one is it? You know, is the church a place? Is the church an event? Is the church a people? That's an important question. What actually is the church? Well, in the Bible, the word used for church is the Greek word ecclesia. Maybe you've heard that before. Ecclesia. It's where we get our, our term ecclesiology, which just means. The theology of the church. The theology of the ecclesia. And the word ecclesia literally meant an assembly, or the ones assembled. It wasn't a word that was just used by Christians, but it was used commonly in the language at the time. An example of that in Scripture is in Acts 19. Paul is preaching the gospel in Ephesus, and people are being converted, and as a result, they're turning away from the idols, they're, they're not attending the temple of Artemis anymore. Uh, the, the temple is making less money off of these people. And so that makes a lot of people upset. And so they come and they, they grab some of the Christians and they bring them before the official in the area. And then the Bible says in Acts 19 verse 32 that an assembly forms, an ecclesia forms as a riot and to, to charge these men for preaching. Now clearly that's not a, a church that's forming as that's happening. It's, it's an assembly of people, an ecclesia. And so the word church then, at its most basic meaning, has this idea of the assembly of God's people. But it's also more than that. Uh, family. The church is called to, be, to have these relationships that are, are fatherly and motherly and between siblings Well, if you are a a Christian, not a part of a local congregation, how can you first be obedient to those commands, and then second, claim to be actively a part of the family of God? A brother or sister alone, by definition, is not a brother or a sister. I've had people say to me, and this is becoming more and more common, that they are part of the universal church of God, and that's what matters more than being part of the local church of God. And maybe there is a tiny bit of truth to that, but I I also want to challenge that because it's not a, a this or that. It's a both and. If you claim to be a part of the universal church of God, then you should be part of the local church of God. In fact, the reason that you are probably in the universal church of God is because of someone who has been a part of the local church of God and be trained and equipped and motivated and, and to go and share the gospel with you through which you came in to God's fold. See, the primary means that God uses to grow the universal church is through the building of the local church, the assembly of the called out ones of God. So there's there's no, as I like to call it, lone ranger Christianity. There's no lone ranger Christianity. You don't find that uh, in the Bible. Uh, even Elijah, when he thinks he's all alone, and he's, he's, he's weeping, he's desiring that there be more, and the Lord tells him, there is more. There is more. And he's, and he's insinuating that you need to go and meet with these people and be encouraged by them. There's no lone ranger Christianity. That's the first point of application. Second point, gathering as the church should be a priority for all of us. Paul as he continues to talk about the body of Christ says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And what he's saying there is the whole body is connected together. It's connected together. When you forsake the the gathering of the saints, it's not, in my opinion, just a, a hindrance to yourself for not being with the people of God. It's a hindrance to the whole body of Christ. The whole body feels it when a part of it is missing. And I get that there are, there are times when you cannot make it out to the gathering of the saints. There may be you know, serious personal uh, health issues or you may be away at another church because your family is there. But many of the reasons, I think, that we give for, for not coming to the church really reveal that the gathering of the saints is, is not a priority for us. You know, I'm, I'm tired this morning. I, I stayed up too late last night at a, at a party. I don't like the guest speaker. I, I woke up too late and would be 15 minutes late, so I'm not going to come. It snowed last night, and I need to, to shovel the driveway. One of my kids has a, a runny nose or is being fussy this morning, I mean, really? Those are, if you think about it, those are worth forsaking? The assembly of the people of God? We have, we have friends in our uh, last church and their grandparents uh, lived in a country called Moldova during the reign of the Soviet Union. They were believers and one day the police came to them and said, uh, the men are no longer to attend church. It makes you weak, uh, and we don't want you attending church. And so these men went home, and they sat, and they, they talked with their wives, and they talked with their children, and they, they wondered, should we stay home and just practice our faith privately you know, as the universal church of God and serve the Lord the best that we could? Well, that following Sunday, my friend's grandpa. Uh, and several other men showed up, as they always did. And the police arrived, and uh, on site, all of them were arrested that weren't supposed to be there. And they were sent to labor camps in Siberia for 15 years until the Soviet Union fell. Is the gathering of the saints that important to you? The church, by definition, is called to be the called-out ones of God who are assembled together together. That is, the, that is the mark of a healthy church. That is how the church survives. That's, that's why underground churches meet. Because it's essential for the church to gather. Now the church gathers together. It assembles together. But we know that, that's not, that not every assembly of Christians should be rightly called a church. You know, if I get together with a few families from the church and we play board games... We're assembling together, we're all Christians, does that make it a church, uh, what we're doing? Or even a Bible study, we differentiate a Bible study or a parachurch organization from the church. And so what is it that really makes a a church a church on top of the idea of assembling? What What makes this morning different than all of those other times? And this leads to our second point of the sermon. First, the church gathers. Second, the church gathers for worship. The church gathers for worship. Let me, let me just read our whole passage again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. As any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we see here with this example of the church that the church doesn't just gather for a, a hangout session. You know, the church gathers for a reason. It's an assembly that is organized, regular, and purposeful. And, and, and look at all of the things that are done in those assemblies. They're devoting themselves to the, the apostles' teaching, the teaching of the word. <coughs> There's the breaking of bread. There's the, the offering up of prayers. There's attending the temple. There's sharing meals together. There's collectively praising God. And so, all of these things then together form what we call the worship of God. We often think of of worship as solely singing. And definitely, singing is a large component of our worship towards God. But the worship of, of God involves much more than that. You know, it's showing God honor and ascribing glory to Him and worth to Him in all things that we do. And so, then we worship by preaching the word of god faithfully we worship by lifting up our prayers to the lord and it's not only when you're the one praying we all worship together as one praise and we lift up that prayer with our hearts as well worshiping is is taking up the lord's supper worshiping is practicing the ordinance of baptism worshiping is giving generously to the lord we worship god by doing all of these things honoring and glorifying him in what we do. And this is one of the, really the main reasons why God has redeemed us. God saves us so that he might have a people who will ascribe to him all glory, honor, and praise as he rightfully deserves. Ephesians 1, perhaps one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible, tells us that this is the reason God has saved us. In him, you also, when you Heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. And this is how God has always worked. We have an example of this in the Exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. God redeems his people from slavery. And for what reason? Well, Exodus 8 verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. And the same is true now that we have been freed from the slavery of sin and death. It was for the purpose of worshiping our Lord and Savior. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. For what reason? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, God saved you for his glory. That you might cry out His goodness and His mercy and His holiness and His grace and His faithfulness and His justice and His faithfulness to you. you know, that is why God has saved you. And when you deny Him that the worship that He rightfully deserves, you deny the purpose for which you have been saved. And now as Christians, you know, we're to always be doing this. It would be robbing God if we say we're only going to worship the Lord with our lives on Sunday. No, we always worship the Lord. We live lives of, of, of devotion to Him where we follow His commandments, where we, we sing in our homes, we read the Word of God, we pray, we share the Gospel, we disciple one another. And yet, when the, when the church does gather as commanded by the Lord. when the whole body comes and forms, the body of Christ, the temple of God, the family of God. It's an assembly that, that is unmatched by anything else we see in all of creation. When we, give, when we as one voice give glory to our Lord and our Redeemer. And sadly, much of, much of modern Christianity has lost this focus. On the worship of God. You know, church has turned into a, a show, you know, a source of entertainment, a, a motivational speech, a, a focus on uh, the on, on on the leadership of the church offering a service to the people rather than the people offering themselves up to the Lord in worship and praise. It's forgotten that we gather to worship. And Jesus tells us how to properly worship. In John 4, which I read earlier, he says in verse 23, But the hour is coming and it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. For God is spirit and those who worship worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus says there that the time is now here where true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. And have you ever thought about what that means? Like we want to be true worshipers of God, and he commands us to be worshiping him, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Well, what does that actually mean, to worship in that way? Well, to worship in spirit means that we worship God in the spiritual realm. That's why he says, God is. Worshippers will worship in spirit and truth, for God is spirit. And so God is is to be worshipped in the spiritual realm, not just in the physical. You know, our our playing of instruments is is wonderful. We're commanded to do that. The clapping of our hands is is wonderful, though very few in this church. The the listening with our ears is what we are called to do, but it's not it's not true worship of God if our heart is not engaged. Our minds need to be totally focused upon the Lord. We need to give him the attention and worship of of all of who we really are, of our whole selves, body, soul, and spirit. We must be sincere, reverent, and motivated by our love for God and gratitude for who he is and all that he has done. You know what that means? That means that, that you can show up every Sunday to church and never be truly worshiping God if you're not doing so in spirit and in truth. And so when you come together to gather, you come your whole being ready to give God the worship and glory that he rightfully deserves. Now just as I had some application from that first point, I want to look at a few more implications, applications from this idea that we are called to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so the first one then is showing showing up to the gathering is not enough. It's not enough. A healthy church doesn't just gather, a healthy church gathers to worship. Church is not a social club. It's not a meet and greet. It's not a time for, you know, the professionals to put on a good show for you. Church is for the purpose of worshiping God. If genuine, sincere, reverent worship of God is absent, then it isn't a healthy church. And the leadership of the church is is responsible for that, in that the, the leadership by ordering the service and by leading the service ensures that the worship of God is primary. And so part of your responsibility is to hold the leadership of your church accountable to that. If we come, if, if we come and, and start to be about, you know, bells and whistles distracting from the worship of God, then you have a responsibility to call your church leadership out for that. To come and tell them, hey, we've, we've lost track of what we're gathering and meant to be doing on the Lord's day. And, and, and there's an individual component for you as well. So it's the leadership's responsibility to... Put the focus on worship, but you individually need to know that you're not showing up, you're not just showing up for worship, you're participating in it. All of us here are participating in the worship of God. You don't just listen to the music, you sing it, and you sing it loud, and you sing it to the glory of God. You don't just let your mind wander when prayers are happening, you, you pray those prayers from, your, from, from the depth of yourself as well. When the word is preached, you, you listen and you take the truths and you think on them and you press them deep down upon your own heart. This is how we, we properly worship God. You know, showing up is, is not enough. And second, when you come to church, the focus must be on God. It can be very easy to, to come to church because that's what you're supposed to do. But your mind is, is focused elsewhere. Maybe it's about something that happened in the week previous. Maybe it's something that's going to happen in the week to come. Maybe you're, this is what Hannah and I have to sometimes watch out for, maybe you're having someone over after the service and you're so consumed with having the house clean and the food ready and, 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 and that it distracts you from the worship of God. Well, when you come to worship, you need to, you need to try and set all of those things aside that would distract from worshiping God in spirit and truth. You know, ask the Spirit. Pray and ask Him to help you focus on Him and His Word as you gather. Now, I quickly want to share some, some practical ways to help with this. And these are by no means a hard and fast rule written in, in, in stone, but they're, they're helpful ways to get your heart and your mind off of the other things and onto the Lord as you gather to worship Him. And the first one is use Saturday nights as a time of preparation. Now try not to, to schedule late events for Saturday nights so that you can get a good sleep for worshiping God the next day. Get all the, get all the little tasks done that you need to do. I know for us, it's, it's packing up the girls' books. It's making sure that we have snacks for them. It's making sure we've got the, the clothes that are set out that they're going to wear. i got to print off worship lyrics, have breakfast planned. Do all of these things before uh, Sunday morning, so that when Sunday comes, you don't have any distraction from focusing upon the Lord. And second, take advantage of your drive to and from church. When you're driving to church, use it as a time of prayer and preparation. You pray by yourself or with your family, asking that the Lord will be working through the gathering of the saints. Ask that He'll be working in your own heart, removing distractions. Put on some worship music while you drive to get your mind directed towards the goodness and the glory of God. And then when you drive home, it's not like church is, the the service is over, but still now start thinking on the things that you've learned. Ask your family, what was one thing that you got from the sermon? And then discuss it and talk about it so you can apply it to your own life and ask that God would help you to do so. And then finally, another way to help you with this is don't just be a Sunday Christian. If your only spiritual feeding comes on Sunday mornings, you're not gonna reap the benefits that God grants to his children when they come and worship him. You think of it in a way like a like a malnourished child. When a malnourished child is offered a a large meal of food, they're only able to eat a little bit of that food because. Their stomach has not been stretched. It's it's shrunk because of lack of food. Uh, They don't have the acids or the proteins in their stomach to break it down. They They don't get to reap all of the benefits of a large meal because they've been starved from food for a long time. The same is true for us as Christians. When we're not feeding on the Word of God throughout the week, when we're not deep in prayer with the Lord throughout the week, when we're not singing Praises to the Lord in song throughout the week. When we come on Sunday, we're not going to gain all of the benefits that the Lord graciously gives us when we come to worship Him. See, the worship of God is not a—it's not just a once a week event. It's a daily, hourly lifestyle that we walk according to all throughout the week, so that when we gather on Sunday, we're able to draw near to the Lord and give Him wholeheartedly the worship that he rightfully deserves. And so then to wrap things up, to finish our first sermon on the marks of a healthy church, we see that the church is, it's not just a social club. It's not just a, a place where people come and, you know, share how they're doing, though you should definitely do that. It's, it's, it's not a place where, you know, I'm, I'm to give you a, you know, a TED talk with a Bible verse posted at the beginning of my sermon. Church is a time When the called out ones of God assemble together to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus in spirit and in truth. and So I encourage you, make that a priority in your life. If it's not a priority, make that that something that you schedule your week around. You don't schedule it around other things in your week. Because when the church is faithful to do this, We become the primary instrument in the hands of our Redeemer. The Lord Jesus wields the church like a a sword and and slices through the enemy and also wields the church like an instrument of, of healing to extend grace and mercy to the lost. And it starts with us being faithful to gather to worship the Lord. And so do you have a desire? Do you have a desire for the Lord to use Evergreen Chapel for his for for the glory of his name if so it really starts with you being faithful in gathering as the people of God for the purpose of worshiping your glorious God a healthy church gathers together for worship let's pray